0: This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit subscribe on whatever you're listening to YouTube, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Safari. Make sure you hit subscribe. Make sure you join the Facebook group as well. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. Here with me tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King, Penn State Collegiate All Star, Kevin Adams, Ball State athlete, Paul Habakkuk. Our special guest tonight, she's starred in over 30 films to include Robin Hood, Men and Tights, Junior, For Richer and Poor, Dracula, Dead and Loving It. That's two Mel Brooks movies right there. And, of course, playing Marla Hooch in A League of Their Own. She's also appeared in over 20 TV shows, ER, Jimmy Neutron, Home Improvement, as well as reprising the role of Marla Hooch in the TV spinoff A League of Their Own. The distinguished actress, Megan Cavanaugh. Megan, thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here.
0: (laughs) We're honored to have you. So tonight we are going to be debating. uh, uh, We did movies before. It was baseball dramas. Tonight it's going to be baseball comedies. And obviously, you know, Megan is familiar with comedies, working with Mel Brooks, Tim Allen, and of course, The League of Their Own. So she is perfect for tonight's debate. And we're going to start out with um, Major League.
3: Yeah, Major League, this movie, I still crack up to this movie every day, uh, every time I watch it. Filmed in 1989, produced by Chris Chester and Irby Smith, uh, written and directed by David Ward. Some big stars in this movie. Uh, you had Tom Barringer, Charlie Sheen, Wesley Snipes, Bob Uecker, uh, Rene Russo, Margaret w- Witten, Dennis Haysworth. Uh, this film uh, was made for $11 million and ended up grossing about $75 million worldwide. So basically, you got a, a former Vegas showgirl uh, who inherits the Cleveland Indians from her deceased husband. Uh, she hates the Indians and or hates Cleveland and wants to move the team to, to Miami. So there's actually a clause in the contract that the team has with the city that if attendance drops below 800,000, uh, they can relocate. Uh, so the owner puts together possibly one of the worst rosters that anybody can imagine. Uh, their their best player to start spring training was a prima donna, uh, Roger Dorn, uh, who is afraid to get in front of uh, ground balls to field it. Uh, the manager said that if he does any more of this ole bullcrap that uh, he has to do 40 sit-ups uh, for every ball that he misses and Dorn pulls out his contract and says that it says uh, if he doesn't feel like doing any calisthenics that he feels necessary, he doesn't have to and asks the manager what he feels about that Well, the manager grabs the contract, throws it on the ground and starts urinating on it right in front of him. Um, you know, they have their ace pitcher, Harris, he puts substances on the ball, uh, you know, including snot. <laughs> um, you have uh, voodoo practicing Cuban. Uh, he had, had power. Uh, Serrano, I mean, he couldn't hit the, the curveball, and he clashes with Harris. Uh, you have the veteran catcher who was playing in the Mexican League when he got called to come to spring training. He thought it was a joke. Uh, you got Ricky Vaughn. He is playing in the California Penal League because he was a convicted felon. Uh, his first appearance in the regular season. He walks the bases loaded on 12 consecutive pitches, and then and then gives a gives up a grand salami on the next pitch because <laughs> his manager wanted to see how he'd handle that. And yeah, he gave up a grand slam. Uh, Wesley Snipes plays Willie Mays Hayes. <laughs> he rolls into spring training without an invitation. They they had no idea who the guy was. In the middle of the night, they actually uh, pick up his bunk and carry him outside and leave him in a parking lot. And he thought he was cut. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, they go through the season. <laughs> They're in last place until they find out what their owner is trying to do. She's trying to sabotage them, so they make this pact that they're going to win the whole thing. Uh, they start improving, so the owner tries to sabotage them. She feels like they're being coddled too much, so that she lets their equipment stop working, like the jacuzzi tub, downgrades their airplane. They take this like they get this airplane to replace like a, a good luxury one. They get this plane from like the forties. Has no seatbelts. The lights are flickering. They're pushing the plane in the runway. And there's a maintenance guy duct-taping the propeller before they're about to take off. I mean, <laughs> this, this movie is just, it's off the wall. It's crazy. It's it's hilarious. They go on a hot streak. They end up winning the division Championship against the Yankees. I mean, this movie is, is funny from start to finish. The spring training uh, part of the movie is just hilarious. I mean, this movie, hands down, is definitely the funniest movie that we're talking about out of all the movies that we're talking about tonight.
0: So it spawned two sequels, one successful, yeah. one one not so successful. Um, big thing that comes up about this movie, and I'm going to come to you in a second here, Megan, but Serrano carrying the bat around the bases after his home run. So I, I did some research, and apparently there is no rule in Major League Baseball against that happening. There's, there's. I always thought they weren't allowed to carry it past that. Yeah. So that, I found that interesting. But, um, Megan, I... I want to ask you about the film, but my, the first question for you about it is the original ending of this movie, the owner, uh, Rachel Phelps, I believe was her name, was yeah. actually, did this, ma- did it on purpose so that they would win, and she was actually not the villain of the story, and it did not test well with first screenings, and got changed. So oh. wh- what would be your thoughts on that if, if it had stayed like that?
2: Well, that's interesting. I, it did make her out to be the villain. I felt like, um, you know, it's a, uh, all of these movies are pretty, um, um, women are sort of sex objects and they're not really taken seriously. And So, you know, it's a, l- a little misogynist, whatever. I mean, it, it was, it was the times. But um, I find that really interesting because I thought, it reminded me of Ted Lasso, kind of. I mean, it's, sort of, <laughs> sort of the, it's a very similar story to Ted Lasso in that the the owner doesn't want to, you know, wants a a terrible team because she's trying to get revenge for her husband because he owns the team and the only thing he cares about, her ex-husband, I'm sorry, who owns the team and all he cares about is that soccer team. And so she wants to make it terrible. So she brings in, you know, a coach, this B-rated coach from Kansas that she doesn't know how to play soccer at all. Anyway, it just, when I was watching it, I had never seen it, you guys. I had never watched it. Back in the day, and I watched it this time, and I thought, my God, this is so similar to Ted Lasso. Like, but um, I-, I felt like it was a, it was a funny comedy. I-, I I thought it was funny. I felt like um, it, a lot of it was over the top, you know. Um, and it, 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 the the theme of um, uh, Charlie Sheen's character, you know, being the, the 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 crazy pitcher, the wild one, and all that, um, and how that was similar to Bull Durham like you know the wild picture there like anyway there's a lot of themes that are sort of similar that have played around in media um since since that movie but yeah that that ending would have been interesting i think i think that um it's very interesting that it didn't test well i i find that that pretty humorous um i guess it would have been too cozy of an ending you know too much of a, a little Bow tie. I don't know. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm not. I liked the ending of the movie. I, it fit with what they were doing, and to think that it, that it she could have ended up liking them and stuff, um, and having them not, you know, changing her mind and not wanting to go to Miami. I guess. Yeah, I would like to have seen what they had in mind because it just sounds a little dubious. <laughs>
0: Kind of like the, the Herb Brooks effect when he coached the 1980 USA hockey team, he made them all hate him right. so that they could be more successful. You know, they would right. use that as their energy. Right. Right. So you can kind of throw it out there. Okay.
1: <laughs> Good, Brian. Um, Wasn't what, Bob Bucher the announcer in that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I always get cracked up when, you know, there was that crazy pitch and he goes, just a bit outside. And, you know, yes. Like, yeah. How yeah many they still use that. Out I yeah. think they still <laughs> use that
4: <them> now.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: A lot, a lot of good quotes from the the sequel too, where they where he named his pitches. You know, yeah. So, so a successful series, but let us move on to our second film, and uh, we're gonna go uh, we're gonna go to a movie that when we had D.B. Sweeney on said in his opinion was the the greatest baseball movie of all time, and that's Bull Durham.
4: Yeah, I didn't know if I agreed with him back then, but I went back and rewatched, and I I would agree with him now. This is made in 1988, written directed by Ron Shelton. Kevin was talking about the budget for his movie. I think he said 11 million. So I went and looked this up real quick, and I'm showing 7.5 million. This was made. It makes sense. I think it's one of the best movies that kind of does a good job encompassing everything there is. Like with minor league baseball life, the superstitions, the routines that go hand-in-hand with baseball. Gets a 97% on the old Rotten Tomato meter, but it is, in a lot of ways, a comedy, a romance. And in terms of, like, baseball acting, there's a lot of athleticism in it. It looks real. You've got Susan Sarandon, who plays Annie Savoy, which amounts kind of to, like, a staunch Bulls supporter of the Durham Bulls, kind of a supporter groupie takes upon herself to take a player under her wing for the season, which kind of means she's going to sleep with him the whole season. Uh, Tim Robbins who's supposed to be the young phenom, Nuke Lelouch. Uh, it's kind of ironic because in this movie, he's 30 years old. And then Kevin Costner plays Crash Davis, who's the en- aging veteran, great name. But he's actually 33. So he's only three years older than Tim Robbins. The, the premise of this is that Nuke has great control until he kind of starts thinking about what he's doing. And we see that in the very first pitch when he gets in and he throws it 95 miles an hour into like the, the press box or something like that. And then we kind of hear from the managers. They're like, he walked 18, new club record. Struck out 18, new club record. So Annie Savoy, you know, she takes an interest in this, in this young phenom. And she's got a great quote too. You're talking about quotes, she says, I never sleep with a player batting under 250, but unless he had a lot of RBIs and was a great glove, up the, a glove man up the middle. So Crash comes onto the scene with one of the best names, I think, in, in these sports movies. Um, I guess he had been working at Sears, and we hear another great great quote from one of the managers. He goes, Sears sucks Crash. Boy, I once worked there, sold a lady Kenmore's. Ooh, nasty work. So Crash and they meet at a bar, uh, Annie and Crash, and we see some obvious tension. But, of course, Annie gravitates towards the rookie pitcher. And um, after inviting them both back to vet them, Crash walks out, but you kind of get the sense as a viewer that these two dream boats aren't going to stay apart for long. So she started dating Nuke for the season, and you kind of start realizing, and this is kind of to Megan's point earlier, that where women are kind of objectified in these, but you kind of get the sense that Annie's not just a groupie. She's got kind of a key role in this team, and she's really committed to this team. So, you know, we get a great quote from Crash Davis when they're – having some uh, tension between him and Nuke. He says, from what I hear, you couldn't hit water if you fell out of a boat. And I looked that up. I I deleted an expletive there. But uh, I looked it up, and that's actually a real quote from Tommy Lasorda. He said this in 1984 in a reference to a weak-hitting San Diego Padres infielder, Kurt uh, Bavakwa. I hope I said the name right. Uh, Nuke ends up with Andy for the season, but then – you know, we kind of find out he's a little bit dimwitted at times. He's got control problems. He's got some great quotes too. He goes, "I got a Porsche already. I got a 911 with a quadraphonic blah punked." And then he goes, "I love winning, man. I love winning. You hear what I'm saying? It's better than losing." <laughs> Another expletive deleted there. So the bull, uh, Durham Bulls, end up start winning. The tension between Crash and Annie kind of gets to a to a high pitch there and we see kind of like what goes on in the minor leagues there's some rainouts that were caused intentionally caused and it kind of draws to a close with crash breaking the home run record in the minor leagues and he ends up getting put to another team because nuke gets called up to the majors and of course spoiler alert you know we get the end of crash davis's career him and Annie sort of end up together, she kind of retires from being groupie, he retires from being a catcher, and the movie pans out with a weird homage to Thurman Munson, who died in a plane crash, and I looked that up too, speaking of cuts from a movie, the explanation of that was cut out of the movie, so that's how it ends, is just this sort of shrine to Thurman Munson. Hmm.
0: So Megan, I want your thoughts on this movie, of course, and the baseball playing it is phenomenal, but what is it about Kevin Costner that when he does a baseball film, people want to see it?
2: You know, I really liked this movie, but but I felt like it was kind of like soft porn and baseball. Like it was so so much sex in it, and it was sexy sex, and it was all you know, it was all good. But it but I, I couldn't believe how sort of sexual it was. Like I didn't remember that from the first time I would seen it. I don't know why. Maybe I was just young and not knowing enough but whatever i loved how much susan sarandon's character annie knew about baseball like knew like how they like your hips are your hips are in the wrong place like she she's way more um baseball savvy and um and she loves baseball like baseball is life she is she is um and I, I really loved that. I loved that they gave her that dimension that she just wasn't sort of, you know, the whole kind of the prostitute with the heart of gold, which is kind of how these scales were sort of are. Um, I loved that they weren't, but there wasn't a lot of commentary on them being like loose women and stuff. Like I kept expecting, there was one guy that says something, but they weren't, they were never really derogatory towards them. And I appreciated that. Like I felt, cause I feel like so many times you hear, sort of derogatory things said about women that, that are loose. And, um, so I appreciated that. And I, and I, I, I know that this is the movie where Susan Sarandon and Tim Robbins fell in love, like for reals. And they had super great chemistry. Um, but baseball wise, like I, I loved it. And I think Kevin Costner was wonderful. And I, um, you know, he was such a heartthrob, back then and and the fact that he was like only like three and a half years older than Tim Robbins is just hilarious to me I looked it up I was like how old were they and what I was like oh my god he was like just a couple years older than him and plays you know the seasoned old guy but she was quite a bit older
4: um 42
2: (laughs) yeah yeah and and so I you know I, I anyway I just loved um I loved the movie, and even though I felt like it was sex with baseball instead of baseball with sex, um, it, it just seemed, uh, and it's definitely funny, and it's heart, and it's got some really heartwarming parts too. And I, and I loved how they showed the minor leagues, like the kind of the real deal of that, like you know the, the crappy bus and the all of it. Just I just loved it. So did I answer your question? I don't think I did. It just was no, <laughs>
0: Paul, this was a, a, a dramedy. Uh, I mean, what do you think? More
4: drama than comedy? Yeah, like I was – as I was watching it, it's almost half and half. I mean, you know, to Megan's point, there is a lot of sex. Maybe it doesn't you count because they're together. You know, Tim and uh, Susan were together in this movie. But the, the, they she does mention, you know, Susan, Annie Savoy's friend in there, had sort of had a relationship with everybody on the team. So there was sort of that notion there. But in terms of what we're talking about here with the comedy, a lot of capitalization on how silly the minor leagues, you know, like she says, the crappy buses, the the superstitions. Yeah, it does a nice job with the balance, and it throws some athleticism in there. I mean, it looks looks realistic. Well, let's move on to A League of Their Own,
0: starring Megan Kavanaugh. So we're going back to 1992. It's so a budget of forty million dollars, and it raked in one hundred and thirty-two point four million, which is more than all your movies. In fact, it's it's more than fifty thousand more, so or fifty million more. So that's Bye. quite quite a bit of change for it. Directed by Penny Marshall, fabulous. I mean, a lot of people remember her from Laverne Shirley, of course, and she did put that mark on the film because we got. Uh, Squiggy in there is the announcer, and, and one of the dancers was Carmine. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've got that little Laverne Shirley effect there. But all-star cast, Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell, David Strathairn, who we had mentioned uh, in our Eight Men Out show, and uh, Lori Petty, and, of course, Megan Cavanaugh. So this is basically the story of the Women's Professional Baseball League, uh, mainly about the team, the Rockford Peaches, and this was uh, during World War II. The men were out at war. So they decided to start the Women's Baseball, Professional Baseball League. And Tom Hanks, of course, is the manager, Jimmy Dugan. Um, he's a drunk <laughs> in it. And um, but the, story, the story really revolves around Gina Davis and Lori Petty's characters, Dottie and Kit Henson. Um, there was a lot, of, a lot of drama between the two of them, a lot of sister drama. Um, Kit is jealous of everything that Dottie does and eventually this leads to Kit being traded even though Dottie had asked to have been traded and I, I want to throw this out here I think the Peaches did an incredible thing making it to that World Series when you got to consider three things one, their, their ace pitcher gets traded you got Megan Kavanaugh's character Marla Hooch leaves halfway through the season because she gets married yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then Gina Davis, who is the best all-around player in the entire league, leaves for the playoffs and doesn't come back until game seven. Right. So that, that is incredible that they even made it to game seven without, really? their, without their three best players. So I, I found that very impressive. Um, so, you know, they come back for the final game. Gina Davis comes back for that final game, and, and it comes down to the last play of the game. And, and spoiler alert, Lori Petty, her sister Kit, is up to bat. Hits basically an inside the park home run. There's a a, a question I'm going to ask about that here in a minute to Megan. But um, so this movie is a dramedy as well. It's drama and comedy. Um, you know the drama between the two sisters. Also, Dottie's husband is out fighting in the war. And you know there's a really good scene where the the uh, like the military department sends a letter to to the team saying that that one of the husbands had died and they didn't know who it was going to be. And there's a scene right after that where Gina Davis is crying in her room and it's just fantastically done. Um, But many funny moments. Marla Hooch trying to sing. Hilarious. It had to be you. That was great. Um, Jimmy Dugan doing his drunk peeing. That (laughs) that was funny. Um, And then, um, let's see, Evelyn, uh, when she – you know, her little kid is out there screaming, you're going to lose, and he gets hit in the face with a glove. That was another funny part. And, of course, maybe the most quoted line of any movie that we're talking about tonight, there's no crying in baseball. So that scene is just absolutely phenomenal. Megan, your movie, tell us about it. I, I understand that peen scene was Penny Marshall hidden in a corner with a bucket of water pour, pouring it in. Is, is that true?
2: You know what? I don't honestly don't remember. I honestly don't. I it was because I couldn't see what was going on over there. They were, you know, it was just somebody had a bucket for sure that was pouring it. It might have been Penny. I, I don't really know. And um, there are so many things that I want to say to you, and I don't have that much time. So, um, take, I take, do your want time. To... take
0: your time. Take your time.
2: Marla didn't in the original script, which did not end up as the the final movie. Marla gets traded to Racine, to be near her husband, Nelson, who makes cheese, and is in the, the final game with Lori Petty's character. They're they're the two, they're on the same team. They're on the Racine team. And um, uh, Marla gets hurt by Gina Davis. Marla's pregnant, and they think she's going to lose the baby because Gina takes her out. She doesn't think we did this big flip. We brought in the lumacrame We did this huge stunt and all this and none of that ended up in the movie.
4: Wow. So
2: um, all because of a kiss that happens between um, Gina's character and Tom's character that the real women of the AAGPBL had a conniption fit when they saw an early um, showing of the movie. They said that never would have happened. And they got really written sense. And I think they test marketed it, too, or whatever. And they ended up cutting it. So my whole storyline went with that kiss. So, so at, at the very, when we were getting ready to, we were in post-production, Penny said to me, oh yeah, I'm real sorry about this, but you're just going to say, see you next season. And I was like, oh, I'm out of the movie. She was like, yeah, I was like, all right. You know, I was the fourth lead. I had a much, much bigger part, but it all got cut (laughs) because it's all good. I'm so happy to have been in the movie at all. And, um, there's another good line that you forgot, which is, um, Avoid the clap. That's good advice. Um, that's, that's one of my favorite lines.
4: And, yeah,
2: uh, There are just so many things about this movie that I, that I adore that I'm, that I, that I'm, it's just so dear to my heart. Um, what else did you say? Let's see. Oh, so this is based on a real league of women that played. That's the most important part of this movie. They played from 43 to 54 They felt that they were doing, when it started, they felt that they were doing their part for the war. Like um, all the men were called off and they were told we're keeping baseball alive until the men returned from war. So they took this on as like a wartime effort kind of a thing. And they played with broken bones and they were tough. And these women were just so, this was like the greatest moment of their lives. When you talk to them and they say, oh my God, like this was the greatest time of my life. And there was absolutely no, um, press or history about them. Like they would have been completely out of history. If Penny hadn't done this movie, I think, I mean, the documentary was done by um, Casey Kendall, who, uh, whose mom played in the league and he found, um, all of these, these tapes and, in, in, you know, at their home and, or eight millimeter, they weren't tapes because it was too early for tapes, but, you know, and he's the one that, um, brought it to the forefront and they made a, a PBS special documentary about it. Penny saw the documentary and wanted to make the movie. So this is also the first time a woman, did over a hundred million dollars. I think, and I, I don't know if she may still hold that record. I don't know. Penny did of, um, you know, of income for a movie. So that's, that's pretty exciting. But yeah, I, I have teams of sophomore girls constantly saying, oh my God, we watch that every time we're going to, you know, our playoffs. Everybody watches the movie on the way to the playoffs. And um, it just inspired just tons of young women to play ball and I love that. That that's that's amazing. So in an homage to the, the real women and to the young women coming up, it's it's like all good.
0: I gotta ask you the question everybody wants to know, and this is this is an opinion question for you. Okay. Did Dottie drop the ball on purpose?
2: Absolutely not. No. <laughs> okay. I feel like she is a true ball player. No ball player, even if they're playing their sibling, is going to throw a game, especially, a, a, you know, a playoff game. I think it's because it's in slow motion, you're seeing the hand kind of open and release. But no, I believe that she's happy for Kit after it happens but I don't think she would ever throw a game. I, you know, I just, she's too much of a competitor.
1: Yeah, Kit that, just wanted it more, though.
2: <laughs> you what?
1: I said Kit just wanted it more.
2: She did, <laughs> yeah. 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 She did.
1: That, that's
0: a question I've pondered for a long time. E, even even my mother has said she dropped the ball on purpose. So I'm, I'm, glad, to, I'm glad to get a, 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 an answer from somebody on the show.
3: That's kind well, of my two cents on that one. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. People so she me. she is I, a, a go ahead. Oh, go ahead. okay so she is uh, she definitely is a, a ball player and she's probably the best ball player in that in that league right. um but being that she is as good as she was, I would feel like she would have known not to hold the ball in her bare hand and would have kept it in her glove, which makes me think that she did drop it on purpose and I mean, I loved the movie, but, man, that, like, made me upset that the the sister that was like a little (laughs) crybaby got her way.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs)
2: Right? Well, you know, the original casting of that was Deborah Winger. Deborah Winger was originally Gina Davis's role. And it was Deborah Winger and Laurie Petty that were cast as sisters, which makes a little more sense. Um, And they were really competitive. And so when Deborah left and Gina came in... Um, you know, that cre- that was a totally different dynamic. And I think that made Kit a little more whiny than she would have been if she had been with Deborah Winger, who was, uh, you know, kind of a feisty, uh, really competitive. Gina has this elegance, you know, and um, that I think that Deborah had more of a, kind of a gutsy, kind of a natural way. Natural's the wrong word. You know what I'm saying? They're just different actresses, and um, and yeah, Deborah was our our captain, and she she rented UCLA because we were playing at USC at uh, USC's field, and the Trojans and the, the Bruins are a huge competitors. So um, she didn't like that we were at USC. She felt like she was a trip. So she rented UCLA's field so that we could play there for a game. Huh. Yeah, it was. So I, it was just a. Yeah, a different deal. I have so many. I could go on and on I have so many stories.
0: I'm sure we'll have more when we get to our Q&A. Let's, let's move to our final film tonight, and that's going to be the cult classic, The Sandlot.
1: All right, The Sandlot. Um, come out in 1993. Uh, the top star in this uh, career-wise in the cast was uh, James Earl Jones. Uh, but you also had Patrick Renna as Ham, uh, Chauncey uh, Leopardi as Squintz, Um, Brandon Adams as Kenny, and David uh, Mickey Evans as Johnny Smalls. So the flick is set in the summer of 1962, and Smalls is a young adolescent kid, and his mom and stepdad had just recently relocated the family to a Los Angeles suburb. So Smalls, he has a tough time making friends uh, with the neighborhood kids at first, and that's because they love to play baseball uh, at a nearby sandlot, and he just really stinks at it. So um, there are some funny mo- moments early on when Smalls tries to throw a baseball and ends up, like, a few feet in front of him, and, you know, he can't catch anything. I mean, he's he's just horrible. So uh, Kenny decides to take him under his wing, and he teaches him how to play, and he upgrades his equipment, and eventually Smalls becomes, you know, like a regular on the team. So one day, the kids kind of figure that it's too hot outside, so they don't want to play. They decide to go down to the local pool. Uh, and that's whenever Squints, who had a major crush on Wendy Peppercorn, the lifeguard there, decides to take a dive off the deep end, and he ends up looking like he's gonna drown. So Wendy comes in there and, and rescues him, lays him down, starts giving him you know mouth to mouth. Well, after a little while, you kind of realize that you know this was all part of Squince's evil plan to be able to, you know, kiss Wendy. And so that was a really funny part there. Um, she ends up banning the kids uh for life from the uh from the pool. So now there was a large home run fence at the end of the sandlot. And on the other side was the beast. And the beast was this huge, vicious dog that legend had it, had mauled every item that ever went over the fence, including one time a child. Um, so uh, one day they're playing and Kenny knocks the cover off a ball. So Smalls gets the idea to go and use his stepfather's prized possession to assigned Babe Ruth baseball as a replacement, and he's completely unaware of just how legendary Babe Ruth was at first. So when he hits it over the fence and it becomes property of the beast, uh, Smalls was just devastated once he fully realized what he had just done. So the kids, they devise all sorts of hilarious plans to try and retrieve the ball. Um, they're, they're making all kinds of contraptions, doing stuff from their treehouse, um, until finally Kenny, he's visited by, you know, the ghost of Babe Ruth. And the ghost of Babe Ruth tells him, you know, you just need to go for it. And he ends up jumping over the fence, and he outsmarts the beast, and he gets the ball. Well, I mean, it's just – this the, the beast is mad as hell now. And the beast chases him all over the freaking neighborhood. I mean, it's just – there's destruction everywhere. There's, you know, there's, there's cakes flying. There's all kind of stuff going on. So finally, the fence – at the Sandlot, ends up collapsing on the Beast, and at this moment, you know, the kids, they realize, like, okay, we need to help the Beast out. They feel bad for him, so they help him out. They let him go, and then the Beast and the, and the kids kind of make make peace at that point in time, so the owner of the Beast, who's played by James Earl Jones, uh, who the kids were originally afraid of, he, he turns out to be, you know, a very kind man, and you know, fortunately for them, a, a, a former baseball star and a collector of memorabilia, so he ends up replacing the Babe Ruth ball that had been pretty much mutilated by by the beast, and that ends up saving the, the, the day for Smalls. He's able to give that to his stepdad, and 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 everybody's happy. So, I mean, this flick had many comedic you know comedic moments. Um, you're killing me, Smalls. That's a phrase that people say all the time when somebody okay. messes up or somebody doesn't know something that's obvious. You know, you're killing me, Smalls. Um, you know and the the flick is really relatable I think to anyone who played you know little league baseball or or maybe you know uh girls softball or something when they were kids um and or if they had a sort of you know awkwardness when they were a kid or the the awkwardness that you feel whenever you move to a new a new place or a new city so uh, it's just a really really funny movie a really like one that sort of touches you in, in multiple different you know mul- multiple different emotions. Much like Major League, it also spawned two sequels.
0: Uh, It didn't exactly hold up to the first movie. None of the characters returned. I believe James Earl Jones might have cameoed in the second one for a moment, but he wasn't in the third one. But uh, one little thing to, to mention about that movie, Benny the Jet Rodriguez, but he was wearing a fitted L.A. Dodgers hat in 1962. Fitted hats didn't become available to the public until nineteen seventy-eight. So I want to know how he got that. Right. <laughs> <It's on travel. laughs> yeah, the, the time machine or something there. But <laughs> so, so Megan, I mean, with this film, like it it didn't make a lot of money. It only made thirty four million dollars, which I mean that sounds like a lot, but it really wasn't. And right. when they were advertising it, they were advertising it for kids. But this movie was like definitely more for older than kids, and and it really caught on after the fact and mm-hmm. became a cult favorite with 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 older teenagers and adults. And right. it's 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 still lasted today. So, what are your thoughts on the film, and how did those kids do?
2: I you know what I loved this. I I, I liked all these movies, and they're all historical picks, which I loved. Um, the The worst. The only thing about this movie that I went like, oh, man, was the worst thing that you could call somebody was throwing like a girl. Like, that was the worst insult. <laughs> and I thought, I wondered how many girls loved this movie. Like, um, back then, like, you know, um, because I never saw it. I I, I-, I was on New Mom when this movie came out, so I, I didn't see this. Movie. I didn't see it until recently. And I actually played with some of the cast members from Sandlot, Um, In 2019 at the Field of Dreams. We did a Field of Dreams. um, Awesome. Nice. David Ross was our manager. And I mean, it was, we had tons of uh, Major League Baseball stars. And we had a blast. It was was a great time. But, um, so I'm really glad I went back and watched the movie and saw that. But I didn't like that girls were, you know, being, girls were sexualized. They were, you know part of the, but it's just, it's, I get, you know, it's the way that it was, so I gotta just shut up about that. Um, I thought it was a very, very funny, I loved how they had um, the beast, you know, as a giant, massive, and they had this growl that was like, (laughs) you know, sounded like a a 15 grizzly bear growl, and it it had, you know, the giant paws that come in and take the ball away, like, it was very sort of Tim Burton-esque. You know, in their kind of like, in the in the, the the crazy dreaminess, a dream part of it. But they, I, you know, I thought it was it should have made more money, and I'm glad it became a cult classic because I feel like it really um, captured the the time of like, even though they were wearing, you know, that a fake a hat from the '70s, I think it captured the time from in the '60s of kids playing in sandlots like that was a real thing and I don't know um how much that happens anymore I don't know uh you know that that you could just you had a ball and that was the prize possession and you know once the ball went away and that they played he and the narrator explains that that they're playing um constantly and there's nobody nobody's really against anybody they're just playing ball all the time and i love that like i think that's how kids that's how i was when i was a kid we just played we didn't necessarily compete you know Um, well
0: in the sequel that whole you you play ball like a girl comes full circle because there's three girls in it that are softball players and they come play on the sandlot team and they cannot like nobody can hit off the pitcher she's that good so it kind of comes full circle Good. Yeah. Yeah. So before we go into our, our vote here tonight, just one shout out movie. I'm sorry, two shout out movies. Major League Two wasn't as good as the first one, but definitely had some great comedy in it. And the Bad News Bears, the original Walter Matthau, I really enjoy that film. And I also like the fact that they lost at the end. I, I, I respect uh, when films can be real like that, like a league of their own.
1: It just doesn't matter.
0: It just doesn't matter. <laughs> so uh, let let's let's move into our vote here, Paul. You're in my top corner tonight. Can't take your own. Who you who you
4: voting for? It's been I've been on the fence the whole night, but you know I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna go with a league of their own because of what kind of Megan did a good job selling it. It's it's probably the most based on truth out of these movies but the thing i like about it after hearing her talk is it's kind of ahead of its time really you know it kind of dared to be different back in the early 90s and and it's got some great quotes in there tom's character's great and the there's no crying in baseball will live to the end of time so i'm gonna go with leave their own so i'm gonna go next man i
0: I might be one of the
4: few people
0: in the world who just didn't think Bull Durham was that great. Like I've watched it several times and I, I know when we had D.B. Swee on, he absolutely loved it. And I've talked to a bunch of other people that they all say that's like the greatest baseball movie ever. I I thought the baseball was great in it, costume was great. it. I just, I don't, I think it's overrated. So because of that, I'm going with the movie that I actually think is the funniest tonight. And that's, that's major league because it's just crack up after crack up. And there's some drama in it as well, but it, it, it's hilarious, and a rated R movie comedy at that time period was, you know, there weren't a lot of rated R comedies coming out, so to make 75 million bucks back then with a rated R comedy is pretty impressive, because it wasn't until, what was it, 20, 2008 when The Hangover came out that uh, a movie finally made a bunch of money that was a rated R comedy, so touche for that, man. That, that's fantastic. Brian?
1: Uh, Like, uh, like Paul, I've been on the fence too. I mean, probably my, I'll say this first, like, of these movies, my favorite one is definitely A League of Their Own. I mean, that's one that like, you know, it, it touches you in like so many different ways and, you know, so many different emotions. And I, I just love the way that like, it brings everything full circle. It's the, you know, it's, um, her going back to the reunion, you know, and, 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 uh, of the league with all those other girls she hasn't seen in, you know, decades. And uh, that, that is so cool. But since we're looking at just, you know, just straight up comedy, uh, I gotta go with major league because there's uh, out of these four movies, no, no one of these movies made me laugh as much as that one did. I mean, I just, you know, I was laughing through the whole thing just about. So I, I gotta go with that one. Kevin.
3: I think this is definitely one of our hardest ones to pick. Um, really, I really do love a League of Their Own. I thought that was a great movie. Major League, I represented, I can't pick that, but I definitely agree with what Brian said. That I think it has, you know, it's the most funny, and what you said, Mike's most funny. But I don't know, call me sentimental, but I gotta go back to my childhood. I grew up with the sandlot. I watched that movie. I don't know how many times. I, I could watch that multiple times a week. I still have it on VHS. My kids watch that movie all the time. They love it. Um, and they watch it all the time. So I, I'm going to have to go with the sandwich.
0: So, Megan, we're coming to you. Are, you. are you picking your own movie? Or are you going to go <laughs> somewhere else?
2: You know, I I think... um it yeah, is... <laughs> Um, I think I have to go with League of Their Own. I'm, you know, it's, it's the closest to my heart. I did think that Major League was funny, but um, I'm, and Sandlot was, was cute and it's, you know, cute as well. But I'm, yeah, I'm going to go with League of Their Own. And whole Durham to me next movie. God bless them.
0: <laughs> so it's one for the Sandlot, two for Major League, two for League of Their Own. Special guests picked League of Their Own, so the win goes to a League of Their Own. as the special guest vote counts more when we do these shows so let's move into our Q&A for Megan about about her career so I actually got the win tonight all right so I'm I'm going first so I want to ask you about the League of Their Own TV show how did that come about and um, did they approach you to be in it or was it something you just tried to jump on when you heard about it
2: no, they came to me. Um, they actually offered it to everybody, I think, in the cast. And Tracy Reiner and I were the only ones um, that, What you know, back then there was sort of a stigma. You did films or you did TV and, like, there was not a lot of, there wasn't as much crossover as there is now. Like, you can do commercials, you can do anything. But there was, like, a hierarchy. You were a film actor, you were a TV actor. I was an actor. I'm a theater actor. I came from theater and I, you know, I'm was so excited when they brought the TV show back and they did ask me to do it. And I did the TV show and Robin had tights at the same time. So I was like super busy and it was such a great time and a fun time in my life. Um, and I got pregnant on the movie as did Tracy. We both got pregnant, um, while doing the movie, we were both with our, our partners, <laughs> my husband, my ex-husband Todd and I, um, and Brendan, And so we had babies when we did the TV show and um, Tracy Nelson, who played uh, Evelyn in the television show, she had a baby too. And they were all the same age. So that was kind of fun. We just had a big, like baby time at the, at the TV studio. Um, But they did come ask us and you know, they're doing a new TV show right now, a new league of their own. That's going to be on, um, I think it's Amazon. And it's going to be, I think a little racier. It's going to have more elements of things that um, that went on in the league that that you don't see in the movie. Like um, there was, a, they they played in Cuba and they had some Cuban women players, so there were some actual women of color um, that played in the league, and um, that's not really that wasn't dealt with in the movie. That the only moment of anything like that is when the um, African American woman throws the ball and she's you know really good in, in the movie and she hits. Uh, Freddie Simpson, you know, hurts her hand because she throws it so hard. So there'll be a lot more, um, I think, uh, inclusion sort of stuff happening in the television series. But I don't really know very much about the series. I just know that they're doing it right. and it's going to be not based on any of the characters specifically that were in the movie. It'll just be different teams and different experiences. Um, but, yeah, they came. And, you know, we did only did six episodes. Right. And it was on CBS and we did a lot of filming um, out uh, exterior, you know, doing um, baseball stuff out in uh, on the location, which is awfully expensive. So I think it was a very expensive undertaking um, when CBS took that on and yeah, didn't last long.
3: (laughs) Kevin, go ahead. So uh, what was uh, one of your favorite roles uh, in your career? Third favorite, favorite oh. movie that you played in?
2: You know, well, Marla's the dearest because it's the first. And, um, but I, you know, I loved playing Broomhilda and Robin Hood Mennonites and working with Mel Brooks. I mean, that was just amazing. And, um, and, and I actually do a lot of voiceover and I got to be uh, Jimmy Neutron's mom. And so doing voiceover is like so much fun because you, it doesn't matter what you look like, you know, you can just go and, and, and play and, um, and that was Academy Award nominated. So I, I you know, I, I don't have a favorite. I just, I love, I love being an actor and I love working and um, I just feel blessed to have been able to have done all the things I've done. And, uh, but Marla, I guess is the closest because it's the first, you know. Right.
1: Um, is there a, a genre of movie or a, or a type of acting project uh, which you have yet to try, but you would uh, really like to in the future?
2: I would love to do dramas. I do mainly. I've mainly done comedies my whole life, um, and I would love to uh, do a. I would love to work with the Coen Brothers. They're my um, top pick. I love all their movies. Um, I'm a big Coen Brother freak. And, um, um, I, yeah, I, I, you know, I would just like to keep working. I don't, I haven't done a lot of on camera of late, um, and I would love to, but, you know, I'm happy doing, I I feel like I've had such a great life I've had, I've gotten to be theater, voiceover, television, film. I've gotten to do all of it and it's, it's, um, that's rare. That you get to do all that. And, um, and I've had a great time doing it. So, well, I, this would
4: be my, yeah. When you were in League of Their Own, you know, Tom Hanks is in that role. He had been in a couple things in like 1984. I think Fashion Party was back then, and Begg was in the late 80s. So, this movie, League of Their Own 92, that's right before he sort of trampolines into like this stardom did you guys did you kind of know with acting beside him that he was going to turn into what he did because he was on a roll there for a while in the 90s and 2000s that was just stratospheric you know I not I don't even know if that's a word but he was like a star for a while did you did you recognize that right off the bat
2: you know I did and he actually directed us when we did a on the tv series he came in and directed uh, an episode and that happened right around the oscars when he won for philadelphia so i mean we saw i saw him sort of just starting the major ascent yeah. and um he was um you know when we did the movie i didn't have any idea if it was going to be if it was going to be straight to video quite frankly because you're filming out of order you don't know what they're going to use and what they're not going to use. And, you know, it's just hard to tell. We hoped and prayed that for the women's sake, for the mm. the, the, g- the gals who played baseball, that this would be an enormous hit. And it was, but we didn't have any idea. And I, I he was a big star. He was a big star when I worked with him. And Penny really wanted him because, you know, she had done big and he mm. starred in that um, for her. And she, um, Yeah. And he, you know, he, he, people ask me about Madonna and Tom the most about like working with them. And I want to just tell you the nicest, most wonderful person ever. And I learned all my set etiquette from him, like the way how you treat people on a set and how, you know, just all of it. He was a consummate professional and, um, and I wish I would love to work with him a million times more. I just loved And yes, I kind of knew he was, a, I knew he was going places. I'm going to say,
4: yeah.
3: you <laughs> sure yeah, to Is there like a role or a movie that uh, you either passed on or that was offered to you that you kind of wish that you took and you didn't or anything like that? Or, or movie uh-huh. if you weren't offered one and skipped on it, was there one that you wanted to, to try for?
2: I, um... Never passed on anything and regretted it. Well, I did pass on auditioning for Saturday Night Live, um, which I have regretted. Um, But that's because I was pregnant with my son and I didn't want to move to New York and do all that, you know, as a new mom, because it was a boys game. It was a definite, you know, improv comedy in the 90s was like, yeah. Um, But... um, I did audition for a movie that didn't really do anything that um, or I wanted to audition for it. And Mel Brooks made a phone call for me from our from the set of Robin Hood to a director. And that is one of the most surreal moments in my acting life (laughs) when he made this phone call. And I was with him when he did it. And um, it was for the movie called Angie and um, Quentin Tarantino's sister. I can't think of her name. Got the role. She's Italian. She showed up. It was an Italian girl part, you know. It was like, and um, Gina Davis was the lead in it. It was originally entitled Angie I Says, and they just cut it to Angie. But um, yeah, that was that's a role. I but I um, trying to think if I've auditioned for anything that I that I get. I don't have any regrets. We'll just put it that way. No regrets. Right. I regret a little bit about some of the movies I did. There was a movie, a movie or two that I wish I hadn't been in. <laughs> but
1: you know, whatever. Good, Brian. Um, I, that scene in A League of Their Own when you know you're up on stage or singing, it had to be you. I mean, first off, that was really you singing, right? And oh. and how were you able to keep a straight face throughout that? Because I mean I I just completely just laughed my butt off throughout that entire rise. Oh. I'm
2: so glad. Um I um that scene was just so amazing. We went back to Berwyn, Illinois, which is the town that next to where I grew up. And so I was hometown girl, does good, came back. And I had, that that bar was owned by somebody I had played volleyball with in high school. Like it was, it was like I, I, they had done a, this national search and this was the bar anyway. Um, I didn't crack up because it was a very, um, uh it was very hot, and it was it was it was kind of an uncomfortable um setting and I was uncomfortable. They put me in this girdle that was uh, like two sizes too small, and I had a wire coming up the side of my body that was like embedding into my skin and so i had I was sort of uncomfortable doing it but um I mean my parents got to come and watch it while I was filming, which was really fun um and my dad got to go to Wrigley and we're Cub fans. So that was big. But um, yeah, that that scene, um, I got, they gave me fake beer so I could like method acting, get into being that like being drunk and being, you know, like the smell of it and the taste of it, but like, you know, that's, oh. <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, and I'm trying to think, oh, that, that scene, oh my gosh, there's so much more to that scene that was shot that they didn't use, of um, David Strathairn's character coming into the bar and seeing, you know, takes off his glasses and and, and is um, cleaning them and thinks he sees Gina Davis and he puts his glasses on and then Tom Hanks bonks him on the head and they drag him to Miss Cuthbert's bed and throw her and in, in, uh, David in Miss Cuthbert's bed. I mean, it was like so much other stuff happened that didn't end up in the in the
1: you know, in the movie. Yeah, I wish they wouldn't have cut that out. I, I actually saw that recently, that deleted scene. I'm like, man, that would have been really funny. Uh, do you know the reason why they cut that out or anything? Or?
2: Um, I think it was just for time. I think they had, oh, okay. uh, you know, the original movie that Penny put together was four and a half hours long. Oh, so wow. they had two and a half hours. And I think that, <laughs> that ended up on the floor because they didn't have time.
4: Wow. Yeah. Paul? Well, I want to follow up on something you said um because one of my questions was going to be what you want to accomplish, but you kind of answered that. So taking the Coen brothers, who I'm a huge, huge fan of too, they do a really good job with both bad guys and, you know, good guys and stuff like that, the, the character building on both. So my question for you is what's your favorite Coen brothers movie and what would you prefer to be? Would you prefer to be the good on the good side of the law or the bad side of the law in one of their oh. movies? That's a
2: great question. Mostly, I just want um, to be—I uh, just want a layered character. I don't really care if she's a good guy or a bad guy. That—that that, yeah. that part isn't. I want—I want lots of layers. Like, um, I loved uh, Francis McDormand's um, uh, uh, Fargo. Yeah. I loved her character in that, and I loved Bill Macy's character in that. I love all the. I love all the flavors that they put in characters. There isn't just like one way of being, you know, it's especially as their movies got, uh, went on. Um, And uh, yeah, it's like an onion. I want to peel the onion and I want to have more dimension and more, um, more spiciness. So it doesn't matter if I'm a good guy or a bad guy. Well, being a bad guy would be fun. I haven't played... Very many bad guys, and I'm, um, it would be, it would be a challenge.
0: So we'll get you out of here with this tonight. So in '97, you made For Richer or Poor with uh, Tim Allen, and then I noticed, like, I think it was '98, maybe '99. You did a a few episodes on Home Improvement. Did Did Tim Allen recruit you for that after working with you on the movie? And 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 maybe tell me a little bit about that movie because. It was another hilarious movie. It seemed like everybody was having a good time.
2: <laughs> it was really fun. Um, Tim and I became friends and he did uh, um, have some, yes, that did happen because of I was in the movie. And um, I got, so I was going to just be doing um, one episode, a guest starring episode. And this rat was, uh, they had a rat, a real rat that, they had found that, that wired walls and it, it would wear like this little harness and it would run through the walls and, and in, in real life, it helps like do electric uh, wiring. But when they brought the rat to the set, the the wall that they had, that they had exposed, had, um, uh, what's it called? Fiberglass, um, you know, the insulation. And the rat wasn't used to working with insulation. <laughs> and so there was an issue they didn't have another rat and they were like, what are we going to do? The rat's not going to run through the wall. And I got to say, even as a guest star, what if, what if Trudy just did this so that she could meet Elle? Because she's always had a crush on Al?" And they took that and they ran with it. And I ended up marrying Elle on the very last episode of the show. You know, I did about, I think I did six um, episodes. And it was, um, yeah, that was wild and fun. And yeah, Tim is a wonderful guy. And he's been, he, he was a, a really good friend. He did a, he also directed me in a, um, in a two-woman show with my friend Carolyn Warren um, and I had worked on together. And she wrote it and we, we developed it together. And um, he directed it. It was his only, I think it's his only, it was for definitely his first theatrical direction so um that was fun and that was called misfits <laughs> So yeah awesome.
0: well thank you so much megan for joining us tonight i just thank you awesome to have you on make sure everybody if you whatever you're listening on hit that subscribe button and, and come on over to facebook and join the facebook group as well hope you enjoyed the show we'll see you next time good night
1: thank you so much